board members are participating in this meeting remotely via video conference, and they are participating in the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For members of the public who wish to make public comment, the phone number to use is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2487-501-4082. Then press pound and press pound again. When your item of interest is called, dial star three to be added to the queue to speak. You may address the board once per agenda item for up to two minutes. Item number one, call to order. Director Richardson? Here. Director Sen? Here. Director Dunlop? Here. And Director Breston? Here. Thank you, and we do have a quorum. Okay, as, as always, um, I wanted to uh, take this opportunity, as always, uh, to welcome um, Tider Commissioners, Commissioner Fei Shen, our President, and members Lashonda Preston, Mandunlop, and to the staff, uh, Mr. Bob Beck and uh, Kate, uh, Peter, everyone. And we have today our guest, uh, Mr. Scott Miller, and also to the members of the public that are tuning in at this point and those that will be tuning in later. Um, I run into a lot of people in San Francisco and I can attest that everyone, most people are excited about what is going on on Treasure Island. Uh, they do not even know how far we've gotten. Uh, when they get to the island, they are really, really, really very uh, surprised and, and very impressed. So on that note, uh, we welcome each and every one of you um, to stay tuned to what we are doing on the island. So, okay, Kate, let's move to the next thing on the agenda. Thank you. Item number two, general public comment. And in addition to general public comment, public comment will be held during each item on the agenda. And I'm seeing no public comment. Okay, next thing on the agenda, please. Item number three, consent agenda, 3A, approving the minutes of the February 25th, 2022 special meeting. Okay, Commissioner, have you all had a chance to look at the minutes? Yes. If yes, please, I need a motion. I make a motion. Second. And I'll take okay. a roll call vote. Director Richardson? Aye. Director Sen? Aye. Director Dunlop? Yes. There are three ayes. Thank you. Item number four, presentation of final report by UC Berkeley Goldman School of Public Policy, master's degree candidate regarding TIYBI parks and open space maintenance planning. Thank you, okay. Kate. Um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to introduce Scott Miller. Um, as, as the agenda item says, uh, he is a, a, a master's candidate with the Goldman School of Public Policy. And for the last four months, he's been working under the city administrator's office of budget and planning to conduct an advanced policy analysis project, uh, working with TIDA to look at um, parks and open space maintenance programs and best practices. And uh, he's been in, in this work, he's been uh, closely coordinating with, with uh, primarily Peter Somerville on TIDA's staff. Uh, and also Jamie Carubin and myself. Um, and he is nearing uh, preparing a report summarizing 
his research and experience uh, and wanted to have him come here today uh, to present to the uh, sustainability committee. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to Scott. Unless Peter, did you want to add anything? Go ahead, Mr. Miller, you're welcome. Perfect. Well, uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share the findings of my report this morning. Uh, very excited to be here. Let me uh, share a uh, PowerPoint presentation uh, that I prepared to go along with my speech. So hopefully there's a little visual while I ramble on, uh, on and on. Uh, so as Bob uh, graciously uh, let, let you all know, um, again, my name is Scott Miller. I am a graduate researcher from the Goldman School of Public Policy over at UC Berkeley. And I had the distinct pleasure over the past few months of working with Bob, Peter, um, and Titus staff on spearheading a maintenance and staffing plan for all of the wonderful open spaces uh, that will be opening up on the island over the next few years. As you all are very aware, uh, Taita will be getting a very diverse set of parks and open space assets um, over the next 10, year, 10 or so years um, that will uh, really transform the two islands into kind of a world-class destination here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Since many of those spaces, especially on Yerba Buena Island, will actually be opening up, uh, well, I believe some of them have already opened up to the public. Um, Creating a maintenance plan and a staffing model to perform that maintenance work um, is as time crucial as ever. So with that, I will go into the analysis I conducted to try to determine the best staffing model um, that TIDA could employ to perform maintenance work across all of the different types of open spaces it will be handling. Uh, I'll also go briefly into uh, the preparation for a draft draft maintenance handbook for all the different spaces uh, and the different evaluation criteria TIDA can use to main, make sure that the maintenance work is being done at the world-class standard that TIDA is looking for. I'll briefly just mention that the primary tools I used to conduct this analysis involved a regional practices review where I spoke with different parks agencies and their partners across the San Francisco area uh, to determine which of their current procedures um, and staffing models could be best applied to TIDA's particular uh, situation. I also conducted a literature review looking at staffing models and park maintenance across the state and across the country. Uh, this involved both theoretical works and actual empirical studies to justify some of those findings. So first I'll go into the staffing model question as I think that is the primary question TIDA's, uh, the TIDA board, yourself, um, and TIDA staff should be looking at as making sure you have a good, robust staff doing the maintenance work will be key to, to making sure that the work is done properly as an inadequate staff likely could not perform at the world-class standard TIDA is looking for. In my conversation with TIDA staff um, and with the regional partners uh, I was able to speak with, it became clear that there were three alternative staffing models that could be most applicable to Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island's open spaces. The first model would be a contract to a private firm where you know, the contract is written up, issued to a private party, and then that third party is trusted to perform all of the maintenance work 
kind of what we think of as, as typical contracting uh, through a government agency. The second key alternative would be for TIDA to establish a relationship with a conservancy founded on Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island. Um, that model would look like a lease structure, so TIDA would retain ownership of the parks and open spaces, lease those spaces to the conservancy, and then the conservancy would perform the maintenance tasks in those open spaces. The third staffing model under consideration would be for TIDA to hire its own team of landscapers and custodians to perform the work in those parks and open spaces. Given these alternatives, it became clear that the key question within this model, the staffing model, was one of centralization, to use the technical word, um, looking at uh, what, what is the best way for a government to provide a service? Is it through in-house provision or is it through hiring a third party of some sort? There's been lots of theoretical discussion around what is better for government service provision on the centralization question. Um, and numerous empirical studies to try to explore that a little more in real life contexts. Just to give you the key takeaways as it applies to our current conversation today. The literature divides tasks generally into two general categories. On the one hand, you have what are called transferable tasks. These are tools, skills, etc., that can be learned from uh, private party providing the service to one agency, say the city of Oakland, and then being able to take that same set of tools and skills and easily apply them to work being done uh, asked of it in another city, say San Francisco, uh, San Jose, what have you. Because these tasks are transferable between different agencies issuing the contracts, you can generally expect that there will be quite a few private firms able to enter that market um, and compete for those bids. Um, and they'll each be trying to provide a quality service so they can continue receiving contracts. In this sort of situation, a government agency can largely feel comfortable using what's known as arm's length contracting, where the contract is issue, a, issued, a set of instructions is handed off to the contractor, and that's largely the extent of the interaction. On the other hand, there's what's known as idiosyncratic tasks, or, or I'll just use the term specific, um, since it's a little faster to say. These are often either complex or very unique to the situation of the contracting agency um, and can't be taken from one agency to another by a third party and applied across those situations. It usually involves a lot of learning the specifics of the agency and the space and the population that service is being provided for. And is often hard to plan out ahead of time as well. There, there might be nuances that staff and the contractor might not be aware of in a particular situation that only get exposed as the contractor tries to do that sort of work. For these very specific tasks, Usually an agency will see better performance if it either provides the service itself or, and we the literature also suggests that having a nonprofit perform these tasks will actually result in better, better outcomes for the agency. Now, even when partnering with a nonprofit, it's important for these types of specific tasks that an agency uses what's known as relational contracting. That's where the, the contracting agency 
and the nonprofit provider are working hand in hand um, and collaborating on various decisions in the field as they move forward to, to make sure that whatever the nonprofit or other contracting entity is doing is still meeting the goals of the contracting agency. So within this kind of theoretical framework, which has been kind of built up and justified by a lot of empirical evidence as well, I divided TIDA's future spaces into two categories. On the one hand, you have design spaces, kind of like the stock photo we have on the left here. And this, this, these are spaces where TIDA will know what assets it's going to have, what plants, uh, what types of benches, what have you. And it can, TIDA can therefore be very proactive in setting up maintenance goals and maintenance plans uh, to hand over to a contractor and be able to, to leave it as is. On the other hand, you have natural spaces where generally, you know, TIDA might not know what plants are already growing in the area, what animals are already living and thriving there. And so a staff trying to do maintenance work there would have to be much more reactive, kind of seeing what starts to flower every year and then making a decision on what to keep and what to pull out and replant kind of on a year by year, month by month basis. So with those two distinct categories of parks established, I then tried to determine which model would be best in each of those spaces. And to do that, I used four different evaluative criteria. The first, which I believe is the most important, um, especially uh, for TIDA's mission, is the potential effectiveness of a staffing model to achieve the world-class goals TIDA is looking for in its maintenance work. Because of that, I also gave this criteria the most weight in my uh, in my recommendation. Second key criteria was the costliness of an alternative, or you can think of it as the economy of the alternative compared to its others. The last two um, are not necessarily crucial to the world-class standard that TIDA is looking for uh, in its park maintenance goals, but I think should still be considered when TIDA is deciding on a, which staffing model to establish. And that's the potential popular support uh, that an alternative can muster if it's adopted or what popular, uh, what popular voices might come out if a staffing model is adopted. And lastly, uh, the administ potential administrative ease of TIDA adopting and then maintaining that staffing model in question. So I will first look at design spaces specifically um, but I'm actually going to move from left to, or excuse me, from right to left in the criteria because the for, because popular support, administrative ease and economy actually uh, pan out about the same between design spaces and natural spaces. So to briefly go over the potential popular kind of voices coming out for an alternative, because contracting out and tied to staff are more kind of bureaucratic in nature, um, kind of administrative tasks, it, it's probably not likely that there will be a large public movement in support, you know, recognizing and supporting either of those decisions. Um, but a conservancy, because it is a, would be a unique partnership that gives individual members of the public an opportunity to have a greater voice in park maintenance goals, might see some, some actors uh, voicing their support actively 
for that alternative. Moving on to the potential administrative workload of any of these alternatives, contracting out the services or establishing a conservancy would likely see a front-end heavy workload for Titus staff as they establish the contract or the lease with the conservancy it partners with. But then that administrative work would, would lower as that partnership continues. With TIDA staff itself though, uh, TIDA of course would have to hire the staff and then also maintain HR operations for all of those personnel going forward. Looking now at the potential economy of each of these alternatives, the estimates on the potential cost and the economy of each of these alternatives is of course different between design spaces and natural spaces due to the differing staff size needed in each of those spaces. But the proportion you can say is roughly the same between contract potentially contracting out and hiring Titus staff. Um, not to get too technical with the economic lingo, but the market, market competition you could see in trying to issue a contract to a private firm can be expected to keep costs lower than uh, TIDA trying to hire its own staff to maintain the work um, and again, maintaining all the payroll and benefits for those employees. I would estimate that a conservancy, at least for the first few years, would likely cost TIDA staff roughly the same as hiring its own personnel. And that's because as the conservancy is kind of in its infancy, trying to build a donor base and draw in other public funding, it might need to leverage more TIDA, direct TIDA financial support to perform its parks operations. Finally, we'll look at effectiveness, and this is really where the design spaces and the natural spaces start to diverge in their, in their evaluation here. So within design spaces, because TIDA can anticipate and plan out almost all of the work that needs to be done, of course, accidents and at, you know, random events accepted. Pretty much any entity can be expected to perform at the world-class standard that TIDA is looking for in its park maintenance work. There are, of course, a few variables TIDA should keep in mind if it decides to, to contract these maintenance services out to a private party. And the primary two variables I would point to would be the uh, composition of the maintenance staff itself, the actual field crews that would be done, that would be doing the work, and the past experience of the contractor that it issues the contract to. That first variable, um, you know, the, the field staff itself should be well acquainted with performing maintenance work for the heavy use spaces that TIDA is looking for. Um, the, as I'll Briefly go over later in the report, the criteria, the evaluative criteria and the maintenance plan proposed within this report. Imagine that the staff would, that the maintenance crews would have roughly two years of training, either an apprenticeship or formal education or some combination of those to make sure that the work is being done at Titus standards. So that would just be, that's just one variable, making sure that the field crew is uh, well-trained and well-acquainted with the maintenance tasks that they would need to perform. Um, and kind of within there, looking at the rotation rate of the field crews doing the maintenance work um, is something Titus should keep in mind. And then looking at the past experience of the contractor performing the work, you know, there are many landscaping 
firms out there who perform a lot of work for, say, um, corporate parks or homeowners associations or what have you. Uh, I just want to note that those types of spaces generally have different types of maintenance um, care um, and different levels of work than tightest open spaces will likely need. Uh, for example, a corporate park might have a lawn that does not get torn up with cleats um, as frequently as some of Tida's assets will be. Um, something else Tida will need to consider, of course, is that, um, you know, in planting beds, you might have young children trampling through them periodically um, as little Johnny likes to romp through the azaleas or what have you. Uh, so that just might require an additional level of care and attention than some contracting firms might be used to providing. So that's my breakdown across designed spaces uh, to briefly move into natural spaces. Again, in the economy, administrative ease and popular support categories, those, those break down the pretty much the same as in design spaces, so I won't bore you with those details again. Looking at effectiveness, because of the reactive nature of the maintenance work in these spaces, uh, creating an arm's length contract under the first alternative, again, where the contractor has just issued the contract and then left to do the work, likely will not achieve the natural resource management goals that Tide is looking for in the various natural spaces it will be managing. So for that reason, uh, contracting out to a private third party in this arm's length relationship, I believe at best could do a moderately good job at maintaining the spaces uh, in these natural areas. A conservancy and TIDA staff being in that closer knit relationship with TIDA management could still perform highly in those spaces. So after comparing all of those, my recommendation on a staffing model TIDA should adopt is, is a hybrid one. In design spaces, I would recommend um, looking for a private contractor, a third party to be issued a arm's length contract and given jurisdiction to maintain the parks and open spaces over there. Again, this is because TIDA can list out all of the, almost all of the potential uh, events and maintenance tasks for those spaces, give it to a contractor and then just perform inspection work throughout the year to make sure that work is being done well. And then mark, again, market forces, market competition should keep uh, private contractors costs lower than TIDA might see for its own staff or conservancy. On, in natural spaces, on the other hand, because of that reactive nature of the maintenance work and the need for TIDA to be closely partnered with whoever's performing those tasks, I recommend that TIDA go, um, and if a conservancy is formed for the two islands, to partner with the conservancy and enter a lease agreement with them and leave them to do that maintenance work. So with that staffing model decided, whichever one TIDA decides to pursue, uh, the next big issue in the report is to look at a maintenance guide. I won't bore you with going through, you know, how to maintain the trees, how to maintain the lawns, et cetera. Uh, I'll just go over some general principles I recommend TIDA and TIDA staff look at when preparing a maintenance handbook. Namely, I recommend that the handbooks be tailored for each individual space so that you know, morning of a maintenance crew can receive the maintenance handbook, take it to their space and be able to quickly look down the list and perform each of the tasks they're being asked on, asked to do. Uh, 
Those tasks should be divided into daily, weekly, monthly, you know, should be broken down in a clear pattern so that maintenance crews know when they need to perform each of these tasks. And of course, this should be planned out ahead of time. Um, I recommend that TIDA adopt some sort of mobile app um, that field crews can use to just, you know, quickly pull up, pull up the maintenance task on their phones, look at the schedule of work that needs to be done for the day. And that would allow staff to also report back um, what work is done, if it met the criteria TIDA is looking for, and if anything crops up, say a tree branch falls down um, in a park, they can quickly um, ping TIDA management, let them know that a crew would need to go out to, to take care of a bigger job like that. This is just a brief example of what the handbook might look like in the sports park for turf maintenance specifically, kind of breaking down each of these um, tasks specifically so that field crews can very easily kind of check off as they perform each of them. Last thing I'll go over um, before I bore all of you to death with all of this is the evaluation metrics that I recommend um, TIDA to use uh, to make sure that the parks are being maintained again at that world-class standard TIDA is looking for. I actually recommend using San Francisco's current um, inspection manual from the Office of the Controller um, and the Recreation and Parks Department. That manual does already break down each of the types of major assets um, and each of the criterion and the levels it's looking uh, for its crews to meet. And this manual has also been used by other entities such as the National Park Service as a best practices model um, for the NPS's own work and some of its spaces. So because of that, I recommend that TIDA largely adopt that manual for its own maintenance crews, of course, making um, adaptations as needed to fit uh, Treasure Island and Yerba Buena specifically. All inspections should be done kind of in a two-stage process. First is, day, is pretty much daily. Um, the field supervisor should report back to TIDA management at the end of a day, whether the crew performed performed um, at TIDA standards that day or not. And this, of course, again, can be done through the mobile app, um, just kind of checking um, to make sure all the tasks were done correctly. And then every week, I would recommend that TIDA staff uh, do perform site visits in a what I'll call semi-random fashion. That is that TIDA staff should have a list of when uh, staff will visit each of its different assets and each of its different parks to perform maintenance tasks. But in a particular day, half of those sites should also be randomized. You can you know, list, list them in an Excel sheet, ran, run a bunch of random numbers, and then you know, ping each of those numbers to a particular day or what have you. Just the, the random nature of inspections will just help uh, TIDA and TIDA staff make sure that all spaces are receiving the attention they need. Um, and that there's no shortcuts potentially being taken. And lastly, when it comes to this inspection, um, inspection and evaluation, I recommend that TIDA also, uh, this is something you all do well already, uh, but make sure that the public has plenty of options to provide its input on how it feels TIDA's maintenance crews are performing at maintaining the parks um, and also reporting their general feelings about, about you know, natural resource management and what have you. I recommend at least having an online portal um, and potentially an email address uh, for the public to be able to contact TIDA 
Um, but of course, having a mailing address and a phone number um, can also make sure that uh, members of the public can contact TIDA through whatever means is easiest and best for them. And here we just have an example of kind of what the uh, parks maintenance standard handbook would look like. So that was, that was my analysis. Again, I rec would recommend that TIDA issue a contract for maintenance work in design spaces, um, partner with the conservancy in its natural spaces, prepare a handbook, uh, especially in design spaces to give to its contractor, um, work closely with the conservancy to prepare maintenance goals in its natural spaces, um, and then check on that work frequently to make sure it's being done to the world-class standards you all are looking for. And with that, I will stop, stop boring all of you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Great. Wonderful. Let me, um, before I open this uh, for general discussion, Mr. Miller, I wanted to congratulate you and commend uh, your thorough research uh, analysis and recommendation. Uh, you kept referencing world standard. And I, I can tell you, I spent a considerable amount of time over the weekend, just digesting the information uh, that you have presented today. I am going to highly recommend, and in all, you produce almost 56 pages of world-class uh, research on this particular matter. Uh, you know, people should understand, and we always like to remind that the development of the Treasure Island, the Yababuena Islands, have secured a lead platinum, which is the best standard in the world. So this project is not just for San Francisco, it's on the world uh, radar. And in particular, I wanna commend your sources. Uh, that the sources you listed are the icons, not only in North America, but just about everywhere. You, you mentioned the Presidio Trust, the National Park Service, uh, part of San Francisco. Uh, you mentioned the Golden Gate National Recreation Area, the San Bruno Mountain, and a host of other world-class entities. So uh, I'm going to, at the end of this uh, presentation, that tighter and a president is here, you know, Commissioner Patient and Bob Beck, that we write a special letter uh, to acknowledge uh, your outstanding research. I think it needs to be on a record from us to let you, to, to, to convey uh, not only our gratitude, but that um, the kind of document analysis that you have provided is extremely uh, very uh, valuable and that we intend uh, to go back and look at all the recommendations and at some point, a uh, robust uh, discussion, we will, um, you know, convene among ourselves and uh, decide with the direction. But you had already given us a roadmap, and so we're very grateful for that. And so this is my initial comment. I am going to open this up and uh, commission a patient. Okay. Thank you. Um, Scott, uh, yes, uh, thank you so much for that report. Um, and 
Uh, I used to be the adjunct professor with the College of Environmental Design, um, teaching graduate school classes. So I'm always happy uh, to support students um, and very glad that you're working with Tida. Um, and particularly on this topic, which has been very close and near to my uh, concerns about the parks and open spaces that we are building on Treasure Island, because it is so important for us um, to be able to maintain those spaces. It's such a gift to the city, 300 acres of open space and parks. Um, and yes, we want to design them as world-class destinations. Uh, it is, you know, we are getting the capital to build them through this joint development on Treasure Island. But um, what I'm worried about is really making sure that once these parks and open spaces are established, that they continue to be maintained because operating expenses are the most difficult to get. Um, in, as, as one goes forward. In fact, um, there's nothing uh, in the city's budget from the general budget that will support these parks and open spaces on Treasure Island. We have to be self-reliant on that. So um, I have been perhaps the one on the commission who has been drumming <laughs> this message that we really have to um, look at how do we go forward in the future and what sort of organizational structure do we use in order to be able to do that? And I appreciate that you've looked at um, some of the models and looked at some of the literature um, because um, what you came up with applies to more than just the parts. It, it applies to services in general. Um, but I would say that there is something which um, needs to go beyond what you have um, provided us here today. Um, I think that um, when you're looking at one park, yes, the models uh, and the hybrid model that you um, have looked at may apply that for certain park maintenance um, services, it may be economical to contract out. Um, but um, I, I think that it goes beyond that. And that is what I'm looking at is what is the organization you know, structure that we need in order to do more than just the maintenance. You've got a maintenance manual, you know, you you hire, you can hire landscape um, maintenance companies. And I, I think that we do have a relationship um, with, um, with some, but what do you do about the overall keeping and um, the overall, um, uh, conservancy of the um, uh, parts and open space that we have. Um, and, and I think that having a conservancy, which you have mentioned, be an overall umbrella um, does make sense. And I would like to explore that a little bit further. And for things which are not mentioned um, in your report, because there needs to be um, advocacy for these spaces. Um, there needs to be long-term management, not just the day-to-day -day or seasonal management, but actually yearly, several years, decades of management, and particularly institutional knowledge about these particular plants um, and how they um, grow and how they need to be maintained. Um, 
We have, um, for instance, spaces which will evolve over time. There needs to be a way to um, document that and also to have knowledge about how to uh, do that. For instance, the wetlands, um, once they're established, it's not just, you know, um, something which is seasonal one year, which you just contract out for maintenance. It is something which has to evolve over time and, and that you need to have the skills to be able to do that. And in some ways, you also, we have the chance on Treasure Island to do something very um, educational and, and, and that we can provide um, um, even the research on how these native plantings do over time. Um, that, that, you know, we have the chance to show through our techniques um, whether it be composting, you know, certainly the bioretention um, basins that we have, um, those gardens, um, how they're performing. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of educational value that can be done, not just the day-to-day, -day, you know, contracting of maintenance services, but really, you know, a very holistic way of looking at the services that need to be provided through Treasure Island and, and actually the uh, initiatives that could arise from that that could be creative in reaching out to the public as well. Um, so um, that's something which you don't have in your report. Um, and I think that there are other groups um, throughout the country, I don't know if you did some research, that specifically look at parks and open space, not just general governmental services, but particularly parks and open spaces. And there are very few that are like Treasure Island. I, I would say even that Treasure Island is rather unique. Um, and so I think we need to put together, you know, um, the thinking on how we structure organizationally um, uh, this look at uh, the, the services that we need on Treasure Island. So um, that's my general comment. I don't think it goes far enough um, and that we need to look at a level of organization above just doing the maintenance. And um, and uh, so so that's, that's my initial comments, but um, okay. I'll let you go ahead. Thank you, um, yeah. Commissioner Peshen. And I'm gonna call in um, Commissioner Dunlop. Um, that's Thank you. Um, I really loved the report. I thought it, it was brilliant, covered lots of parts uh, that, that are really important, giving us choices of where to proceed. And uh, so I also uh, like the comments of um, Faye in regarding the um, there is a little more involved, of course, finances, and to keep this uh, project uh, financed forever. Because, you know, we've seen so many cases where a park has been greatly loved, but then unfortunately underfinanced, and then it slowly decays. And so we don't want that. Definitely, we don't want that. Uh, just a quick question if anybody knows could we possibly enter a contract with the rec and park department to do the the more maintenance type things is that 
something we might be able to look into? I, I would answer that, um, Mike, and maybe Bob um, and Peter have um, suggestions on that as well. Um, certainly the Parks and Rec Department um, provides the services for all of the parks in, in, in um, the city. Um, however, I think Treasure Island um, is very different. It has its own sources of financing that come from the HOA um, reserves. Uh, and um, Treasure Island is such a new addition to the parks um, system. Uh, I would be afraid that um, if it was uh, managed um, by the Parks and Rec, that we um, would not get the attention that um, a new park deserves. Um, and that's just my personal feeling, um, but um, certainly um, I would I would let Bob or Peter um, answer that. And I can jump in uh, even right here. Several, I think about three years ago, we actually took a delegation to uh, New York, courtesy of our Commissioner Shen. We explored some of the world class parks uh, in New York City. We visited many islands. And the mission for uh, the open space at uh, Treasure Island and Yaba Buena Island, and because it, cumulatively, we are going to even have more than the, Gold, um, the uh, Golden Gate Park, is that, that the park's maintenance it has to be self-sustaining. And so we are looking at, even when you look at the design of these parks, it makes sense for us to explore the conservancy model and even Though, and again, uh, the reason I highlighted, um, you know, commitments to Miller is that that topic is of great interest. We can go back based on the mission and the objectives that we uh, discussed earlier, want to achieve. We can expand that if we decide that option after exploring all the others are the ones that we're going to go to, for instance, uh, the economy of scale. Uh, for instance, what, how, what do we, how do we translate the maintenance and again, the economic activities that we intend to generate? Uh, the parks are not designed the same, and so the usage are not the same across the board. It was a reason for that. So we can have concerts, we can have entertainment, you know, and we can have educational activities. And so if we decide on the option three, uh, you your recommendation to establish this conservancy and which is basically uh, what I am personally will be looking at. I think then we can broaden that scope and be able to explore how we are going to be able to maintain that and also comparing what we are trying to do with some of the iconic parks that are world renowned. And we have visited some of those entities and we continue to explore We've looked outside of the United States. We're looking at Canada, we're looking at worldwide. So again, your recommendation, again, it's that guide as to where we are. I think um, you've done a great job, again, in pointing out to uh, so many uh, you know, possibilities. Earlier on, when we look at the San Francisco Rec and Park model, and we, we also know that in San Francisco has not even attained that level 
the dissolution of the old uh, San Francisco Redevelopment Agency. There were a lot of parks that were created in San Francisco, but there was no plan for their uh, maintenance. Uh, for the longevity of those parts. And the city and county of San Francisco right now, as I speak, just now getting into the full-time discussion of how we're going to maintain all these parks. And as Commissioner Shen mentioned earlier, you have the homeowners association, the financing of um, this development stipulates certain measures and we have to abide by them. That they are making that um, the conservancy option should be well thought out and we should have all the provisions uh, in there. But again, thank you for that um, uh, guiding us with all these possibilities. So are there any other uh, questions uh, from either director of um, commissioners, uh, commissioner patient, do you have any more statements and uh, commissioner Dunlop? Yes, I do. Um, one thought about the Reckon Park is that there could be, and this is just, you know, we're just you know, working off the top of my head, but uh, perhaps a special division that is dedicated to this um, island, islands. And that being, you know, they already have a certain amount of ability and you know material that it could be very helpful to get us started quickly and subject to the agreement that we made with them we could have lots of control over that though too but they being the premier park or reckon park um, of the city it might not hurt to take advantage of their knowledge. So that, you know, this probably isn't the time to be discussing that anyway. I just wanted to put that out. Thank you. So if Thank I you, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I tried to figure out how to raise my hand and I can't, I can't find the button. Um, no, I just did want to say that, that, um, you know, kind of to, to face comments earlier that, you know, we do have a, a, a local funding source through the community facilities district to help support the, the park maintenance uh, on the island. And there had been a, a, a presumption that there would want to be kind of a local control um, for the, the maintenance efforts on the island. But that being said, you know, we have been consulting with Rec Park um, on the design of the parks, getting their comments about, uh, you know, various materials and maintainability and, and, and taking advantage of that feedback. And there are definitely places in the future, um, uh, you know, around programming and uh, um, other areas where I think we, we, um, we can learn a, a lot from Rec and Park and, and also, um, one of the conversations we've been having with them uh, separate from from um, uh, Scott's work is uh, some of their manpower forecasting, labor forecasting of of projecting uh, for budgeting purposes, you know how how many personnel um, will be needed to maintain 
uh, a space based on, you know, kind of the materials and usage and so forth. So we 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 have been collaborating with with Rec and Park and trying to draw upon uh, their wealth of experience in this process while still looking at, you know, what are our choices or options uh, for future maintenance. Sorry. And I'm also, um, you are right, uh, Mr. Beck, that, um, and it should also be stated here that even the San Francisco Rec and Park has nonprofits that are working with them. So uh, we're going to be looking um, at the Golden Gate, uh, you know, National Recreation Model, right here also um, the, the Presidio Trust, right here in San Francisco, the Chrissy Field Model. And I think um, when we look, uh, the part of San Francisco, and again, there's so the East Bay, where so many iconic parks and models, and again, concentrating on what we learn uh, from uh, New York City, and we're going to put a flavor here and there and put together what we are trying to do. If we come up with the conservancy, it does not preclude having all kinds of relationship with uh, San Francisco Rec and Park and all these other entities that you know we have come across I, I think we need to make it clear here also that um, the uh, open space the 290 plus parts uh, for Treasure Island Yoba Buena Island um, constitute a rare opportunity for us um, in North America to have a world-class parts system with the combination of all the iconic spaces our method of development, engineering, architectural uh, wise for these islands is again to surpass what we've known and also to mitigate uh, some of the mistakes that we have found. And so it's not just going to be one cookie cutter that we can. And that's why we're having this uh, broader discussions is that we're looking at the best practices as I think Mr. Miller that's what you accomplish, um, you know, with your research. It's, it's again, we show you this task. You went and look at the best practices. I think it's now for us to take that information and kind of help you to mold that into what we wanted to do. And that's, again, to underscore what um, Commissioner Shen said earlier, it's that um, all this information that, that we've gathered become handy and then we need to elevate to where we want it to go. And what we uh, decide on doing may not be a replica with everybody. It's not meant to be like that. It will have uh, best practices. And so I'm very positive yeah. about that. Okay. Any other? And uh, um, I would like to. Yes. So, uh, and I, I, my comments about the parts and back, um, certainly um, they have a wealth of experience and part of the study should be looking at, um, you know, ways in which we can incorporate the experience um, and use it well. Um, but I, I would suggest that a model to look at, and, and I hope that in your research, Scott, you're looking at other major parks and open spaces and how they're managed. I mean, regionally, of course, we have Presidio Trust. Um, we have, you know, various conservancies, um, even with the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Um, but um, nationally, there are many um, examples of conservancies um, that have been, have been, um, 
have been organized to oversee these parks. And um, as Linda said, you know, we, we did look at some, um, the Central Park Conservancy, the Brooklyn Bridge Park Conservancy, you know, virtually all of the major parks in New York City, as an example, and even in the major cities, Chicago, um, very Philadelphia, they, they have conservancies and trusts that um, they've um, given, you know, that some oversight to um, for their parts and open space. So a model that might um, be worth pursuing is really um, a conservancy, a nonprofit, which does the oversight for the for the parks, um, but it also does programming. It also does um, fundraising, which you can only do with a nonprofit organization. It also does the outreach to the public. It does the education as well. Um, and that's done very closely um, in concert with the TIDA staff um, because TIDA would have to oversee that um, that lease to that nonprofit um, if, if, it, if it is indeed a lease. Um, so I think that that is a model that we should look at because um, it certainly uh, is used in other cities as well. Um, and so I will look to your full report. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it when you have finished, um, but I hope that you will look at that um, conservancy model a little bit more carefully. So thank you, Commissioner. Um, are there any other uh, questions or comments from the commissioners before I open this for public uh, comment, please? Okay. I just have a quick comment. Okay, Commissioner Breston. Um, it was a very detailed report. I'm very appreciative of it. Um, I am in agreement with everything everyone is saying. I think his suggestion for a hybrid solution is really good. It makes more sense to me. You know me, I'm with Faye on the educational aspect of it. And I'm also in agreement with you, Linda, that Treasure Island is a very unique place. So I would like to see, you know, something that's going to be established and running for a good long time, not just temporary as we get past the redevelopment and making a tourist attraction. So thank you. Thank you so much uh, for that wonderful comment. And um, let me see, Kate, do we have any public comment? We do have public comment. I will open the line. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, hello, this is Peter Brasto from San Francisco Environment. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, so I uh, wanted to just uh, offer my contribution to the really interesting and rich conversation today uh, in the spirit of the work that I've been doing for TIDA for the last several years, um, consulting as an ecologist basically from the Department of Environment. I uh, want to say, first of all, obviously, as everybody said, echoing that great report, Scott, congratulations on your thorough research and detail-oriented approach and, uh, and just cogent analysis of, of the situation. Um, really interesting stuff. I read through the whole thing. Um, I wanted to kind of add to the conversation, like I said, from my ecology lens. 
Um, and and so in that, uh, I would just say that I, I understood the, the way that Scott uh, set up the report in terms of kind of um, creating a dichotomy, if you will, between design landscapes and natural landscapes. Um, and I think the analysis has a lot of merit based on, with the different criteria that he used and, and some of his conclusions. Uh, meanwhile, I, I, and I always talk about this, I want to, <clears throat> I want to caution us not to be too dichotomous in how we think about the landscapes on Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island. Um, and sometimes we think of, you know, Treasure Island is the more designed landscapes and Yerba Buena Island is the natural, as the natural land. But there's a lot of examples where, um, where, where it, that expresses and realizes there's such a fractal geometry, really, of, of the nature of the open spaces of Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island, right? So a couple of examples are the, the west side parks on Treasure Island are being designed starting at Building 1 and going north to be sort of wilder as you go north until you get up to the wilds at the north end of the island, ultimately. Uh, we want to have habitat hedgerows made of all local native plants, you know, in places that are adjacent to designed landscapes, whether it's a ball field or at the, in, in the agricultural um, area, for example. Those stormwater parks uh, that have been built on Yerba Buena Island, those have been built as parks, very designed landscapes, meanwhile, planted with entirely local native plants at both of those locations. Uh, so there's a real blend of, of uh, kind of the natural and the designed throughout uh, Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island already. Uh, and so um, my hope, of course, is, is to see that uh, and see, to see the world-classness that Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island are to be expressed through that cutting-edge approach to uh, native plant landscaping throughout all of the parks and designed landscapes in addition to the, to the natural areas. So that, so that we really do soften those edges and that there is really less of a dichotomy. Um, and, and so then that would, you know, cascade through the, you know, maintenance handbooks and the RFP and the standards and the metrics, et cetera, would, would, would reflect that. Uh, and, and so then I also wanted to just relay that there are other, many other aspects of sustainability um, that, you know, that, that stem from the sustainability plan, but also, you know, kind of the city's sustainability vision that are important when thinking about, um, you know, maintaining landscapes through time, whether it's green purchasing, you know, purchasing non-toxic products, green waste management, mulching and composting, um, and of course the implementation in a, in a sustainable and, and creative way, the, the IPM ordinance, the Integrated Pest Management management ordinance. Um, Thank you, Peter. So I think, I think, yeah, I think those are my comments. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Peter. Are there any? Thank you. And then uh, Peter, um, some of I don't know if Peter, you wanted to add um, anything. I just want to give you the chance if you did. No, I think Scott did a great job handling it all. We certainly thank him for his hard work and, and appreciate all his efforts and, and as he mentioned earlier, we want to acknowledge a, the, the variety of regional partners that were supportive in this effort. We had some some great, even from a staff level, learning and discussions with uh, Golden Gate Recreation Area, uh, the Presidio, the Port of San Francisco, Rec and Park, uh, many others. So uh, I think going forward, he's he's given us a lot a lot to chew over, and it's uh, very exciting. So thanks again, Scott. You did great. Good. Thank you so much, uh, Peter. Again, uh, putting out great work here and as always, and I also wanted to echo what the, um, the gentleman, the Commission of the Environment, with the reference to sustainability, it kind of echo, underscore what uh, we've said before, 
and you mentioned the sustainability plan. Actually, I <laughs> that's one of my call to fame. I worked in um, as you know on that sustainability plan for the city and county of San Francisco, uh, being part of the uh, founding commission of the Commission of the Environment and reference to IPM and in the design of Treasure Island. I mean, that document and all the world class um, came to fruition. So we, we will continue to have partnership with the Commission of the Environment. And again, again the overall takeaway is what we are doing, is that what we are doing here uh, eclipse a lot of things uh, uh, that we've known in this region. So, so Linda, thank you for Linda, that. May, Mr. Miller? May I just yeah. say also, um, so going forward, I'd like to have a plan because we have been talking about this for, I think, um, at least three or four or five years now. And yes. so I, I am thinking about what the next steps are in order to implement um, um, you know, taking information, taking research from Scott and others and how to move forward in um, the next steps and making those decisions. So I, I um, so that is a discussion item that I would like, you know, um, for the board as a whole as to how In fact, yeah. do we. Commissioner Shen, yeah, you, you're right. I think the takeaway from this discussion is that um, and to um, Mr. Babette, we are going to fast track. I think the time we've done this research, we've been talking about this for five years now. I think in the next couple of weeks, I would even suggest that we come up, uh, we, we have the information. So it's not just reinventing the wheel. And to come up with a direction, I think uh, where we're leading, present that to the commission and begin to put the process forward. I would say, you know, this is what may, uh, I, I think, you know, by June or July, yeah, we need to put something together. And that way we can continue to put all the pieces together and that will convey that we are, um, you know, showing progress. I'm leaning towards the conservancy, like I said, that, that that's a model that I'm highly interested in. But again, we will hear from the rest of the commissioners and, um, but we need to get this from just the initial talking space now, now that we have clear guidelines and all the pieces together uh, to really uh, move uh, forward. Mr. Miller, um, are you still here? Okay, I'd like for still you to, uh, okay. Again, I uh, wanna give you, um, see your picture here. Could you come on and let's see who you are. <laughs> still, still here for you. Okay. Again, sir, you've done a marvelous work. I mentioned at the beginning of your presentation that um, we, I would like to convey uh, to my commissioners some gratitude for this excellent research analysis that you have done. Your recommendations are recommendations, and you know they have merit. We will look at them, but it's important for us to convey to you and to people that might be looking at your work, that um, your, your approach uh, this research is really on a world standard level. And we have a lot of information there that we can look back and it will detail some of the analysis. Yeah, are we going to add to your recommendation? Absolutely, but there are so many ways that we can go about doing this. And so we commend you 
And I would like to suggest to uh, the president and the above, uh, you know, Mr. Beck, that you should be expecting a letter from us just to convey, you know, what we feel. And stay tuned to this uh, project. We've just started and um, who knows in the future. So thank you, sir. Thank you. thank you all so much. Uh, really appreciated the opportunity and it was a real pleasure to be able to, to work out with you all to prepare this. Thank you. And thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. So, Linda, um, we do have one this, more public comment, so I will open the line for that. Okay. okay. Another public comment. Please go ahead, please. Uh, so, Commissioners, uh, my name is Francisco de Costa. And from time to time, I take some time to listen to the presentations. I was involved from the beginning when TIDA was formed a long, long, long time ago. I worked at the Presidio, and I was one of the first to do a thorough investigation of Treasure Island which as you know, is prone to liquefaction and flooding, but also has many serious contaminants. One of the things that sensible people do is, we have to address quality of life issues. As you know, commissioners, many people on Treasure Island have been adversely impacted because of the contaminants created by the United States Navy. We have to do thorough abatement and mitigation. Thorough mitigation, abatement and mitigation, not capping. If you cap something and then you plant something, you still foster contamination. Foremost, you have to have the health of the people. And right now, you are not doing a good job. So presentations are good, plans are good, but they have to be holistic. They have to be viable, and they have to be sustainable. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you so much. Um, are there any public comments? If uh, none, Kate, uh, move on, please, quickly to the uh, next agenda, please. Yes, there is no more public comment. Item number five, discussion of future agenda items by directors. As always, I would, um, future agenda, absolutely uh, discuss with, um, you know, the director. So at this point, we'll just go with the normal process. Thank you. Okay, uh, next thing on the agenda. Item six, to adjourn. Okay, thank you everyone for being here. And thank you again, uh, Mr. Miller and Peter Somerville and to uh, Commissioner Shan. Interesting, all of you and Bob, you know, direct on Bob Beck and Commissioner Donald. Have a great day. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. And to the public.